Section 102 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain Letter 133 My dear friend, I mentioned to you some time ago a sentence which I would most earnestly wish you would always to retain in your thoughts, and observe in your conduct. It is sovite in modo, fortite in re, gentleness of manners with firmness of mind. I do not know any one rule so unexceptionably useful and necessary in every part of life. I shall therefore take it from my text to-day, and as old men love preaching, and I have some right to preach to you, I here present you with my sermon upon these words. To proceed, then, regularly and pulpitically, I will first show you, my beloved, the necessary connection of the two members of my text, sovite in modo, fortite in re. In the next place, I shall set forth the advantages and utility resulting from a strict observance of the precept contained in my text, and conclude with an application of the whole. The sovite in modo alone would degenerate and sink into a mean, timid complacence and passiveness, if not supported and dignified by the fortite in re, which would also run into impetuosity and brutality, if not tempered and softened by the sovite in modo. However, they are seldom united." The warm, choleric man, with strong animal spirits, despises the sovereignty in modo, and thinks to carry all before him by the fortite in re. He may possibly, by great accident, now and then succeed, when he has only weak and timid people to deal with. But his general fate will be to shock and offend, to be hated and fail. On the other hand, the cunning, crafty man thinks to gain all his ends by the sovereignty in modo only. He becomes all things to all men. He seems to have no opinion of his own, and servilely adopts the present opinion of the present person. He insinuates himself only into the esteem of fools, but is soon detected, and surely despised by everybody else. The wise man, who differs as much from the cunning as from the choleric man, alone joins the sovite in modo with the fortite in re. Now to the advantages arising from the strict observance of this precept. If you are in authority, and have a right to command, your commands delivered sovite in modo will be willingly, cheerfully, and consequently well obeyed. Whereas, if given only fortite, that is, brutally, they will rather, as Tacitus says, be interrupted than executed. For my own part, if I bid my footman bring me a glass of wine, in a rough, insulting manner, I should expect that, in obeying me, he would contrive to spill some of it upon me and I am sure I should deserve it. A cool, steady resolution should show that where you have a right to command you will be obeyed, but at the same time a gentleness in the manner of enforcing that obedience should make it a cheerful one, and soften as much as possible the mortifying consciousness of inferiority. If you are to ask a favor, or even to solicit your due, you must do it sovite in modo, or you will give those who have a mind to refuse you either a pretense to do it, by resenting the manner, but on the other hand you must, by a steady perseverance and decent tenaciousness, show the fortite in re. The right motives are seldom the true ones of men's actions, especially of kings, ministers, and people in high stations, who often give to importunity and fear what they would refuse to justice or merit. By the sovite in modo, engage their hearts if you can. At least prevent the pretense of offence, but take care to show enough of the fortite and ray to extort from their love of ease, or their fear, 
what you might in vain hope for from their justice or good nature. People in high life are hardened to the wants and distresses of mankind, as surgeons are to their bodily pains. They see and hear of them all day long, and even of so many simulated ones, that they do not know which are real and which are not. Other sentiments are therefore to be applied to, than those of mere justice and humanity. Their favor must be captivated by the sauvete in modo, their love of ease disturbed by unwearied importunity, or their fears wrought upon by a decent imitation of implacable, cool resentment. This is the true fortite in re. This precept is the only way I know in the world of being loved without being despised, and feared without being hated. It constitutes the dignity of character which every wise man must endeavor to establish. Now to apply what has been said, and so conclude. If you find that you have a hastiness in your temper, which unguardedly breaks out into indiscreet sallies or rough expressions, to either your superiors, your equals, or your inferiors, watch it narrowly, check it carefully, and call the sauvete in modo to your assistance. At the first impulse of passion, be silent till you can be soft. Labor even to get the command of your countenance so well, that those emotions may not be read in it. A most unspeakable advantage in business. On the other hand, let no complacence, no gentleness of temper, no weak desire of pleasing on your part, no wheedling, coaxing, nor flattery on other people's, make you recede one jot from any point that reason and prudence have bid you pursue. But return to the charge, persist, persevere, and you will find most things attainable that are possible. A yielding, timid meekness is always abused and insulted by the unjust and the unfeeling. But when sustained by the fortite in re, is always respected, commonly successful. In your friendships and connections, as well as your enmities, this rule is particularly useful. Let your firmness and vigor preserve and invite attachments to you, but at the same time let your manner hinder the enemies of your friends and dependents from becoming yours. Let your enemies be disarmed by the gentleness of your manner, but let them feel, at the same time, the steadiness of your resentment, for there is a great difference between bearing malice, which is always ungenerous, and a resolute self-defense, which is always prudent and justifiable. In negotiations with foreign ministers, remember the fortite in re. Give up no point, except of no expedient, till the utmost necessity reduces you to it, and even then, dispute the ground inch by inch. But then, when you are contending with the minister fortite in re, remember to gain the man by the sauvite in modo. If you engage his heart, you have a fair chance for imposing upon his understanding, and determining his will. Tell him, in a frank, gallant manner, that your ministerial wrangles do not lessen your personal regard for his merit, but, on the contrary, his zeal and ability in the service of his master increase it, and that, of all things, you desire to make a good friend of so good a servant. By these means you may, and will very often be, a gainer. You can never be a loser." Some people cannot gain upon themselves to be easy and civil to those who are either their rivals, competitors, or opposers, though independently of those accidental circumstances they would like and esteem them. They betray a shyness and an awkwardness in company with them, and catch at any little thing to expose them, and so, from temporary and only occasional opponents, make them their personal enemies. This is exceedingly weak and detrimental, as indeed is all humor in business which can only be carried on successfully by unadulterated good policy and right reasoning. 
In such situations I would be more particularly and noblement, civil, easy, and frank with the man whose designs I traversed. This is commonly called generosity and magnanimity, but is in truth good sense and policy. The manner is often as important as the matter, sometimes more so. A favor may make an enemy, and an injury may make a friend, according to the different manner in which they are severally done. The countenance, the address, the words, the enunciation, the graces, add great efficacy to the suavite in modo, and great dignity to the fortite in re, and consequently they deserve the utmost attention. From what has been said I conclude with this observation, that gentleness of manners with firmness of mind is a short but full description of human perfection on this side of religious and moral duties. That you may be seriously convinced of this truth, and show it in your life and conversation, is the most sincere and ardent wish of yours. End of section 102. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.